Hello and welcome to this week's installment of Nucleus Investment Insights. My name's Jaden and I'm filling in for as the temporary host of the program. But more importantly, I'm joined by two members of Nucleus Wealth's investment team, our head of investments, Damien Klassen. Good afternoon, Damien. Yeah, I'm sorry. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, no worries. And our chief strategist, David Llewellyn-Smith. G'day, David. Hi, Jaden. So our topic of the day, will the earnings boom continue? On the agenda, we've got an economic slowdown, uh, a top-down view of US earnings, regional earnings, uh, sector earnings, individual stocks, and as always, our investment outlook. As always, of course, before we get started, a quick reminder that if you enjoy our content and haven't already, please consider subscribing to us on YouTube and click the notification bell to be notified of when we go live or have some new content to watch. Alternatively, you can follow us on your preferred podcast platform. For those listening in live, feel free, as always, to drop your questions into the YouTube live stream chat as we go, and we'll endeavor to answer them for you. So guys, I thought we might start with a bit of background on the current earnings boom. Yeah, sure. Do you want to jump into, I guess, uh, economic slowdown, David? That's probably, and, and I guess what we're actually, why don't I set the scene as well, is that what, where we're coming to from this is last reporting season or the last two or three reporting seasons have just been cracking reporting seasons. In, and uh, and this is particularly in the US um, and global markets we're talking about. Uh, and uh, we're about, you know, a, a third of the way through the, the current um, reporting season, maybe a little bit less. And it's just worth, um, you know, Catching up on on what's happening in terms of in terms of numbers before we sort of get too far into it to um, sort of see where where earnings look like they're going. So you know, with that, Dave, I might hand over to you on on sort of what's happening in the in the broader economy first. Yeah, sure. So uh, we've obviously been through this uh, pretty extraordinary stimulus snapback boom after all the COVID lockdowns in the last eighteen months. Uh, initially fired off by China uh, with its big stimulus. It was really a bit of a super stimulus out of China, although it was relatively short. And then followed on by particularly the US, where we saw some really big fiscal spending, uh, as well as um, lots of monetary stimulus. Uh, and um, the simple fact of the matter is that most of that stimulus is now winding down um, as the pandemic eases, or at least becomes endemic, uh, and people start to live with COVID. Uh, and so it's not all bad news in that sense, because, of course, the stimulus is winding down because the economies have been opening up. And so uh, there's been a handoff to the private sector. Uh, and so far, that, that has delivered you know, real out-of-the-box profits boom <clears throat> that we've been riding all year. Uh, but uh, as we noted many times with this cycle, it's quite peculiar in terms of amplitude and speed, um, by which I mean it's more volatile than a normal business cycle and moving more quickly than a normal business cycle. So we find ourselves only you know, a little over 18 months, 20 months into this cycle and 
really the the early cycle recovery is over um, that's the period where you you come out of your big crash and, and there's a whole lot of really easy growth um, a whole lot of easy profits growth because you know you everyone shredded their costs and then you get stimulus and then a big pent-up demand hits that and so everyone's got fat margins uh, and you get this this tear away profits boom and this is very typical of any recession but this time it's been even bigger uh, swifter um, but also coming off just as fast or at least it is in economic terms and so uh, you know we're moving very quickly into sort of mid-cycle slowdown uh, which is also very typical it's just that it's happening more quickly uh, and there are some peculiar elements of this stimulus removal that mean that it's happening very sharply and quickly and they'll go run through those quickly so uh, China obviously used this stimulus boom in the West or in the in developed economies which delivered it a huge exports uh, lift um, they're using that to deleverage their property sector and so uh, that has slowed the Chinese growth considerably um, because its construction sector both in property and infrastructure is falling at a phenomenal rate uh, and it's got you know other stuff going on with a lot of investment into higher value add um, manufacturing and services and so you know employment's still solid even though there's this structural adjustment um, uh, but um, in fact despite construction coming off and you know kind of loosening uh, economic resources the exports boom was so big uh, that it created some supply side constraints uh, where they simply couldn't meet the demand and so uh, they've been you know there's been some cuts in in output on that front to slow growth a little uh, and we've had this crazy you know profit uh, commodity boom as well which uh, most of which was really very idiosyncratic not structural uh, including the recent energy run-up which has also forced China to curtail some output uh, and slow it down as well. And then finally, you know, we've got ongoing uh, um, COVID shutdowns still. I mean, most mostly there, you know, there aren't a lot of lockdowns these days, except in China, but, but we still do have them. Obviously, with the Delta outbreak in Q3, uh, which slows things down for services, and, and China is, is, again, shutting down Quite, quite a few million people today uh, in its zero COVID strategy. So those those things have all slowed China very quickly. And there's a chart here on the page, you can see how quickly. This year, in fact, it's it's hasn't grown much at all this year. So sorry, this is the- This is which, uh, that's the, the bottom, bottom the chart, bottom. Um, yep. which is China's quarterly growth. So, you know, at this stage this year, it will have only grown like 1.6%. 1, 1. Over the first three quarters uh, and you've got uh, to add the fourth quarter to that of course but most people don't have anything like this these lower numbers in their outlooks so you know most economists most houses are above five percent for this year uh, and then roughly the same for next year and we're already way below that kind of trend line uh, in China and we're not going to come up in time to meet it to, certainly to meet it this year uh, probably not next year either in fact I don't argue so 
um, uh, you know, we've got this mid-cycle Chinese slowdown to, for starters. Now, <clears throat> that's based on their, their various attempts to structurally adjust their economy, by and large. At the same time, uh, the US, you know, has been supporting, quite rightly, um, the economy very strongly with fiscal stimulus last year to the tune, I think, of uh, a six or eight billion in giveaways to households um, through a number of packages, both for, first through Trump and then through the Biden administrations. Um, and those are starting to roll off in year-on-year -year terms. So that's automatically, you know, spending that won't be in the economy this year. And so that detracts from growth. Uh, now, again, a lot of those giveaways to households increased household savings. And so they will be spent. And so it's not like it's all one-way traffic here. The private sector opening up offsets this. Uh, but it nonetheless is causing, going has started to cause and will cause much more um, very severe slowing in the US. We can see this in the in the latest uh, Fed GDP Now chart, which I've got in here, which has got the US economy also growing currently at 0.2% in this quarter. Um, so <clears throat> we're talking, um, you know, economies that have gone from 8% per annum to, you know, under one in a quarter, in effect, or a quarter or two. Uh, and, you know, that that is a very, very sharp slowdown. Um, on top of that, you know, that, that gives you basically, you know, the major, two of the major importers in the world. Um, and then you have the largest economy in the world in Europe being a very much an export-driven economy. And so it's going to slow on the back of this as well. Uh, and then you have EMs, emerging markets, which are, are, you know, sort of similarly structured, which are also going to get hit by this slowdown. So, uh, so you have, a, you know, what was a global boom coming off very, very quickly. Uh, and there are sort of trends within that, booms and busts as well, that, that kind of net out to some growth, but not a lot of growth. So for instance, we still think that the huge consumption boom in the US that's driven Chinese exports will, will steadily just peter out as those private savings uh, you know, are, are spent or pent up demand is exhausted. And, and I guess just importantly, it'll switch from from manufacturing sort of goods into services. Uh, absolutely, well. and then so a lot of that spending will cop a lot more. Yes, exactly. And so the goods, the goods pulse in particular will, will diminish, and then there'll be a handoff to services slowly but surely, uh, as we all become accustomed to endemic COVID. Uh, and what comes with that, we think, is a commodities crash because it's that demand for hard goods. Uh, that sucks in the raw materials uh, that, you know, has driven so many of the commodities booms and busts that we've seen over the last year. Uh, so, <clears throat> and then that in turn really hits emerging markets again, if you get that kind of uh, dynamic in play. Uh, and so there's nobody, no one really in the global economy as this slowdown takes place that can really accelerate and offset it. Uh, and, drag the global economy through through what is quite a sharp slowing. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not a new recession. It's not, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not going to be a crash, uh, but it is a severe slowing. And, you know, some of these major economies are operating almost at stall speed. Uh, you know, China and the US together, both. Uh, but 
you know, at the same time, as you come out of some of the constraints we've seen on the supply side, there'll be a bit of an acceleration there as well. Uh, but net-net, it's a sharp slowdown. And of course, that makes it more difficult uh, for companies to grow profits is what the, uh, the point of that uh, little spiel is all about. At which point I'll hand over to you, Damo, to have a look at how those profits are tracking. Yeah, sure. So what I might do is I'll run relatively quickly through some of the, the bigger picture things, and then maybe we can sort of get start talking about some of the uh, some of the more specifics about sectors at the, at the end. It's probably the more interesting part. But just to sort of set the set the scene, I've got a slide here of uh, the net earnings revisions uh, that, have, that have been occurring, and this is sort of quite a long term one over the last sort of uh, thirty or forty years. And uh, you can see that the current sort of cycle upgrades in terms of um, analysts sort of upgrading their their earnings um, <coughs> is getting long in the tooth. It's not you know it's not to say it can't go and go for a lot longer, but it's certainly been um, an extremely uh, extremely high. There's been a lot of upgrades, and it's and it's lasted for quite a while so far. So um, you know wouldn't, uh, but but it is still quite positive. It's it's come off its peaks, but it's still from a uh, from, from looking at the the twelve month forward earnings, um, it still looks still looks very good. The next chart sort of digs a little bit more into to where you get that from. So there's a, there's a red line on this chart sort of that, that's rising over time, and and that's showing the, uh, the what's called the forward earnings. So um, whereas the the blue lines show each of the individual years, and what you see within that is um, analysts sort of uh, upgrade their forecasts over the last few years for for individual years, and then we have this. Um, then you got the sort of the natural growth rate, so you get like a little bit more of 2021 and a little bit less of 2020, and then as you roll forward, you start getting you know, a little bit more of 2022 and a little bit less of 2021, and so that's why the red line sort of rises much faster than the the blue ones. Um, but the the you've on this chart, you can sort of see there's sort of two um, sort of upward humps that you got um, two big upward humps was uh, the second quarter earnings and, um, well, sorry, it was actually the first quarter earnings at the end of the first quarter. So the second quarter, you got the first quarter earnings coming through and then you got the second quarter earnings coming through. And in both both of those, you can see that all those earnings sort of really took this this extra leg up where where they flowed through um, with, with, you saw these these uh, these upgrades to earnings. <clears throat> and and that sort of come to, come to a bit of a halt and we're into the, you know, the early stages of this reporting season. Um, and we really haven't seen those those upgrades continue. So, so we're certainly still seeing uh, the the twelve month forward numbers rising, uh, but that's just sort of a, a natural course of you know a little bit more of the next year. Uh, what we haven't seen is um, those those forecasts. And so the next chart I've got um, shows that over a sort of longer time frame. So that. The 2021 and 2022 numbers are just those tiny little um, uh, sort of flattening parts at the end of the lines. But you can also see that the the natural tendency for earnings forecasts, certainly over the last decade, has been for downgrades. So in 2018, 2019, you got um, a, a one-off big big jump from from the tax Trump tax cuts, uh, but sort of post that, you, you went back to that same trend of, of earnings forecasts. Um, to start and then and then just lead into into disappointment um, as as they sort of gradually get worked down to 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 the to the actual levels and so so holding steady is is, is a good thing I suppose in terms of um, um you know in, in terms of the traditional way 
forecast go. So, so just because earnings look like they have stalled at, at, and you're not seeing that extra growth, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing as of yet. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so sort of again, not being overly negative, but certainly recognizing that the the really bullish and really um, strong upgrade uh, cycles we've seen over the last uh, couple of reporting seasons just haven't been there. And finally, that sort of goes into this um, growth figure, uh, where you know, it's a, I like to think that, um, or not like to think, it, it sort of it appears to me that that analysts generally come in with with forecasts around about ten to fifteen percent for the next year, and then as that year gets closer and closer, those earnings forecasts go one way or the other, and you can sort of see that with this line where this is actually this is the same lines but just showing a growth rate, and so um, and so what tends to happen is uh, you, you start at that that initial figure and then go either way. We can see 2022; it's really still at just that um, that 10% level at the moment for uh, for growth. So you know, it could easily go either direction from here. Um, but the, you know, the recent trend has been that for, for for less growth, but that's been more that that's we've seen such strong growth in 2021 that that's sort of increasing the base and 2022's forecasts aren't going anywhere, anywhere, which means the growth rate's been um, declining. Uh, and some of that you, will be market recognition of slowing economies too. Yes, yeah, some of it will be. But again, I think though, keep in mind that the 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 first quarter and the and the first year of forecasts, while it's notionally an analyst forecast, it's it's really a company forecast. So um, you know, companies will um, they'll guide analysts back to what they think the right numbers are. And you do get some echo chamber effects within that, where if you have analysts all, all telling companies how great things are, um, and and how how good the future is going to be, from a from a strategic point of view, and and Wall Street's talking everything up, is that then companies will will echo that back to to Wall Street, that which will then echo it back to to companies again, and you you just sometimes get you know extremes on on either side, on the upside and the downside because of that. So you know, I guess we we certainly take these take the forecasts. Um, with um, you know, they're they're a very good tool in terms of giving us a, a pretty up to date picture, but recognizing that certainly the longer term ones um, can get sort of considerably out of whack. Uh, if we then just look at some of the big regional, um, there's not a lot of difference between the regions. Uh, there's the, the third quarter numbers are all there's a lot of base effects going on, so I won't even, I won't sort of focus on those. The growth's very strong, but but it's, you know it's a bit hard to tell um, you know what's really going on with those numbers. But we're certainly getting a lot of that. We have got a reasonable amount of earnings surprise in to, in the third quarter, so sort of five or six percent in in Europe and, and the US, and and almost ten percent sort of earnings surprise in in Asia. Um, having said that. Um, when you jump to the next screen, though, this is really showing um, you know what's what's going on at the forecast level. So uh, the twelve-month forward earnings are, are up a little bit, but the the two thousand and twenty-two forecasts are pretty much unchanged from where they were a month um, sort of prior to companies reporting. So it's a, it's a much more normal distribution we're seeing. Whereas last time um, we were seeing even at the tenth percentile, um, there was there was some there was some rises in in um, in earnings. Uh, and and definitely the twenty. So, so basically, the worst ten percent of stocks were still upgrading earnings, whereas now it's a bit more normal in that you know you've got some stocks downgrading, some stocks are upgrading, and and the average is roughly about zero. Uh, 
So that's that one. I'll jump then into the sectors. Uh, when you jump into the sectors, a lot of this is is energy. So energy has been particularly strong, as we've seen, and we spoke you know spent a long time last week going through the energy price rises, but um, uh, there hasn't been much earnings surprise in that sector. But there's certainly been um, upgrades in terms of um, in terms of earnings. Most of the other sectors uh, are relatively flat. And then I'll I'll get then into the I guess some of the some of the sector stuff, which is where you know I wanted to sort of talk a bit more around this with, with David. So I, picked, I pulled out a couple of different sectors um, that are sort of highlighting uh, what's going on, and and this is this um, and, and some of the individual stocks within those sectors. So I've sorted each one of these uh, four by their um, by the price rises. So one of them was the uh, was the luxury goods sector. So I might start with that. It's probably the, the least exciting moves, but but you know relatively uniform across the um, across the board there, in that you know we've spoken before about the the whole you know inequality side and and while inequality and demand for um, for material goods is is rising, then um, then this sector can do quite well, and we're seeing that yeah um, relatively across the board we've seen price rises from them certainly the the, the message is coming back in terms of earnings. Um, has been positive, uh, and and you've had some some reasonable upgrades through um, yeah you know, through most of the companies within that sector. Um, so do those ones. Then I might jump to the probably the most interesting and most contentious some of these transport and transport utilities. So and that's in the top left there, isn't it, Damien? Yeah. So transport the top left and the bottom bottom right bottom left is the transport utilities. And so, in particular, the, so the transport utilities are mainly the uh, the railroads, um, and you can see that their price rises over the last month have sort of been ten to fifteen percent, um, but not much on the earnings. Actually, and some of the earnings is even you know Kansas uh, City Southern had some reasonable downgrades to earnings, um, as as in Canadian Pacific. So, uh, it, and I think the commentary around the, the the these transport ones has sort of gone from Okay, there's a, there's there's blockages within the systems, and uh, so at last reporting, look, there's blockages. Um, it's slowing things down. It means we're getting uh, the the companies there are getting price rises through uh, as people are trying to hurry their, their 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 better value goods, the higher value goods along. But what's happened though is that they have. Um, uh, the the commentary is starting to sound more like it's going to last for 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 much longer. And, you know, and I guess that the, the sort of the the trite way of, of discussing this is a bit like the inflation part, which is like everyone at the start was like, yes, inflation will probably will be transitory and probably won't last that long. And then once people have seen the inflation, then they're suddenly saying, actually, you know what? Now we're in for you know the next five years or or ten years of of high inflation, and 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 it's sort of a bit similar to this in terms of look, there's traffic jams and and goods are, are all blocked up, and there's all these um, ships off the off the off the port of LA. And um, it's gone from yeah it'll clear, but we're not quite sure when, but it'll probably be relatively soon. To um, this thing's going to last for a long, long time. And so I guess that's where I want to sort of toss back over to you, Dave, and, and get your thoughts on 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 uh, how transient or, or not, I guess the these transport problems are within the within the system now. Your view? Well, I see it as horseshit, basically. Um... I mean, it's very difficult to know when it ends. I'm not going to argue that, uh, but I, 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 
I really just see these transport firms, as you say, there's a shift in rhetoric and attitude, which is really just gaming the environment. Mm. So, you know, the, the bottom line is, yes, we've got various congestion points, particularly between the US and China, because we've had this huge stimulus, uh, consumption stimulus and exports from China. So fine, that's while it lasts is quite difficult. And every time they sort of fix one pressure point, another one pops up. And so it has proved to be a little more persistent than at first thought. But we're really only talking a quarter or so at this stage. Uh, and uh, however, if you look forward, I mean, two things, I guess. One, for it to persist, the extreme demand has to persist. Uh, and it has already been falling away in terms of growth rate. Some of that is the base effect, but uh, it's also the fact that the stimulus is coming out and so household incomes are falling away in the US. And it's, it's, a, it's a more reasonable expectation for that to continue than to not, I think. Uh, even though there have been big wealth effects and stuff in the US as well, I don't think that's enough to offset the the income drain and the thing is the income tends to be more at the you know marginal propensity to consume households whereas the wealth is in the more concentrated hands so uh you know it's highly questionable that that level of demand will persist the volumes will fall uh, and then of course we have the the handoff to services as well because you know as life normalizes then that that makes perfect sense too so i think on the demand side we will see it diminish in volume terms not crash but diminish uh, and and you're already seeing that uh in the in the us china trade routes where uh you know containerized throughput in china has begun to fall uh, shipping rates between the two have fallen a lot. Um, container rental rates have fallen a lot. Partly this is because of, you know, the supply constraints couldn't actually keep up with demand. Um, so it's not necessarily all about the fact that demand is, is going to fall away. Um, but I think as well, if you look at where we are in the annual cycle, we're coming into Christmas. So we're obviously got elevated goods. Uh, shipments in the in, in the annual inventory cycle. Uh, and I just think demand's going to come off going into the new year and give some breathing space. And so that's point one. Will demand remain so elevated? I don't think so. Uh, and point two is, you know, nobody's just sitting around watching this, you know, gawking at it with their mouths open and doing nothing. As we've discussed many times already, you know, there, there are billions of little nips and tucks going on on the supply side to try and fix this all day, every day. Everything from, you know, things like software innovation to packing more boxes into containers, finding efficiencies in, you know, right across the supply chain. Now, they haven't been enough yet. And one this week, I think, was a pretty funny one in the LA ports. I believe they have a, a rule there. You can't stack containers more than too high, which, which is a NIMBY rule, right? But I mean, I drive past the Melbourne port and they're about 25 high down there and they've temporarily suspended that rule. Uh, so they can go now five high, I think, which obviously expands capacity by 150% in the port. Now there are other constraints coming out of the port in trucking and rail and what have you, but this is the thing, they're doing bits and pieces all over the place and 
your solve one problem, another one rises. But each time you solve a problem, once you clear the backlog, you'll have a much more efficient system than went, the one you went in with. And this is where the traffic jam analogy becomes really good because, you know, when you, when you go from a traffic jam on a freeway, uh, you know, that, that has got a tailback and everyone's doing 10, 10 kilometres an hour, and the speed limit's 110. When it clears, they don't go to 20 kilometres an hour. They go to 110. And so suddenly what was congestion becomes an absolute, you know, well-oiled machine that just throws stuff through like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and at that point, you know, your prices, you found all these efficiencies and your prices crater and probably go back to lower than they were when you before you started. So... So you got this one demand side factor and this other supply side factor. And uh, I just think that uh, there are a lot of things kind of converging on the Christmas, post-Christmas period that mean it's possible we'll start to see this thing really uh, unwind. Um, one being Christmas demand, uh, two being the two energy crises in China and Europe, both kind of resolving through winter or coming to a head and then resolving in winter. Fed tightening, um, you know, these the, this fiscal cliff in the US, the Chinese property smash, these things are all kind of decelerating into the new year of 2022. Uh, and so, you know, I just think uh, a lot of the gaming that's going on in some of these areas uh, is gonna get more difficult they'll find themselves suddenly having to compete again. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of price falls coming in the new year. So, uh, you know, that's not necessarily um, a bad thing. And, well, it, it's a good thing, <laughs> like for the economy and for for everybody, quite frankly. Yeah. And even, but it is, it is a pretty typical kind of mid-cycle slowdown, exaggerated mid-cycle slowdown, where you've had this incredible pump up in prices and margins, and that's all just going to compress coming into this slowdown. And then I, I'm not at all saying that we're going into a recession. In fact, what 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 would be ideal here, and it is actually shaping up, um, once you kind of um, look for, look beyond, you know, perhaps 2022, let's say getting into 2023, um, if you do get all of these these um, deflating bubbles, because um, I see them as bubbles, I don't think they're they're going to last. Uh, then uh, you know all these costs are going to come out of the system, but then we'll we'll still have relatively tight labour markets, and we'll have this services uh, new services uplift in all in economies, uh, and so. Uh, what I, I look forward to is some some reasonably strong wages growth. Now, people might say, well, that'll just be another round of inflation, but that's good inflation. That's what we want to see is some decent wages growth. And if that's coupled with all of this supply side deflation, then you're actually going to get a terrific Goldilocks scenario in which prices are falling and wages are rising and real living standards are going forward at a great clip. And that, that is actually a pretty good scenario for profits as well, because a lot of those, you know, some of those, those little gamed profits um, through, through the supply side squares will be kept. Some of the, the efficiency gains and productivity gains through the squares will be kept. 
Uh, and yes, some will be lost to labour, but there'll be stronger, stronger top line growth from labour squeezing a little bit of that juice for themselves. And so demand lifts. And so coming out of this into 2023, I think it actually looks pretty pretty good for profits. Um, uh, and you obviously have to, to look very carefully at what sectors, et cetera, you want to go into. But it just looks to me like um, the mid-cycle scenario looks quite gloomy for a year or so, uh, and then it resets and we can kind of, you know, build into into an expansion phase of the economy and profits. Uh, so, so, you know, when we ask a question, at least from the top-down point of view, from the macro point of view, uh, there is a difficult period, I think, for profits growth ahead, uh, but it's sort of one we need to go through to refresh the cycle. Uh, and then we can kind of rebuild again. Uh, yeah. So, but but part of this is you really want to find the the, the companies that um, can hold their can hold the price rises because I, I sort oh, of yes. see it going two ways in terms yes. of um, there'll be companies out there who've gone, you know what, um, you can't get the widget that I'm selling, and so therefore I'm putting the price up by twenty yep. percent, and then when when the when it clears, they'll bring their price back to fifteen, and they'll hold on to that you know most of that um most of that gain, and their profits will be. It would be be good because of it, Absolutely. but then there'll be, there'll be another class of, of companies <clears throat> who jack it up to twenty percent, and then the it clears, and then the the manufacturing starts to the manufacturing starts to ease as as people start buying more services, and then they'll be sitting there going, "Just a minute, I better bring my prices down to try and sell. I've got I've got I've actually got a big backlog, and I and I placed all these extra orders to try and while there was stuff on because I could sell the things. So so they've got all this this inventory they've got to try and clear. And then they start chasing the price down, and, and they're the ones where we'll probably end up with lower prices mm. and, and worse margins. In that they've just they're they're trying to shove, um, yeah, they're trying to get rid of their volumes by lowering prices. And so, um, yeah, pricing power is going to be really important. Um, there's going to be com- some companies over this recent period who look like they have pricing power, but they don't. They just it's just that there's there's been a shortage um, yes. you know, throughout the system. Yes, absolutely. There's a lot of those, I think, um, but. Uh, yeah, I guess that's our job is to sort which which ones will be able to hold and and which ones will slip back. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the other one I just wanted to highlight then as well, um, yeah, just uh, the the fangs haven't haven't all reported yet, but um, yes, a, a decent chunk of some of these growth stocks have, um, and so in particular, Twitter Snap came through and Twitter both came through with some some revenue misses and. Uh, and saw some you know, very hefty share price falls on the back of that. And a lot of this is around this whole thought that if you're a growth stock and you're on this trajectory of, of growing it at 20% per annum uh, and people are pricing that in and then you slow down to only growing at 15% per annum, um, it can make a big difference later on in years. And if people start, you know, when companies, when, they, when uh, investors think stocks have gone X growth, you know, they they, uh, they really start to penalise some companies. And so we saw that with Snap, uh, Twitter to a lesser extent. Facebook was down on, on a lot of um, uh, issues in terms of their – there was a little bit on the earnings side, but it was mostly uh, regulatory issues, I think, there. Uh, and then the rest of the sectors, um, you know, been up reasonable. Tesla's had a, a cracker and, and you know, we're seeing, um, you know, earnings coming through from, from, those, uh, from those guys. Earnings upgrades, again, at reasonable rates. It's not um, on here, but do you happen to know how Netflix did? Uh, let me pull that one up. Um, Pretty good, I think. Yeah, off the top of my head, I don't have it there, but um, 
while I'm finding that, do you want to maybe hit up some of the uh, some of the, the viewer questions? Yeah, absolutely. So, Dave, one for you uh, from yep. Miranda Marcello or Marcello Miranda. Um, what do you foresee as being the earnings in Q4 for mining producers such as Vale or Rio? So, some of the bigger Brazilian mining producers. Uh, well, I mean, the, the context for iron ore, which is all that really matters to both, uh, iron ore is. 80 or is that bhp i can't remember well it's so much that it's all that matters uh and vale is very much the same so uh the context for iron was very gloomy um uh it, as mentioned earlier in the in the program the chinese construction collapse and it is a collapse that we're looking at it's huge uh is sucking out enormous quantities sucking enormous quantities of iron, iron ore demand away. Uh, and that's been protected in the short term by some of the power crunch that we've seen, which has forced all of its um, electric arc furnaces offline, or a lot of them, about 60% of them. And that's they use scrap, not iron ore. Uh, and that's about 120 million tonnes worth of steel or about 200 million tonnes of iron ore demand. Uh, but that's all been driven by this very high coal price and the coal price is now collapsing like absolutely collapsing <laughs> it's spectacular to watch so um so that means that 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 electric arc furnace uh, stuff will come back online because it's being pushed very hard by beijing as an environmental transformation from from using um traditional blast furnace steel to electric arc uh and when they do, that's another 200 million tonnes of iron ore demand that just disappears, poof, over, over the next couple of months. So uh, unless China stimulates meaningfully, it's doing things around the margin, but it's incremental and it's not enough, uh, meaningfully, which probably means at this stage removing three red lines, the policy that's constraining Chinese developers, uh, and cutting interest rates. I think those two are probably a prerequisite before getting any kind of meaningful uptick in Chinese construction. Uh, there's some hope on infrastructure, but not even that is really troubled because it's so attached to property. Um, then, you know, the outlook for iron ore demand is just so weak that uh, it's overwhelming. Um, and so, if, you know, we have Q4 is traditionally a very strong quarter for iron ore and the iron ore price. Uh, in fact, it goes up nearly every year. Like, but when we get these circumstances, as we did in 2015, uh, it can can just keep falling, as it did that year, and created right through New Year. Uh, and I think that's odds on again for this year. So, uh, I, you asked me about Q4. Well, it's hard to say. It's seasonally strong, but the top-down setups extremely weak, uh, and potentially structurally weak. Uh, and therefore, looking out to Q2, uh, or uh, sorry, what would be Q3 on the financial year, uh, or Q1 calendar year 2022, uh, same story. And then you're into weak seasonal periods in Q2 next year, 22. Uh, uh, it's just a very, very difficult circumstance for the entire ferrous complex. Coking coal is just as bad. Uh, 
and I think thermal coal is going to come off like a rocket as well and just go back to where it was at the beginning of this year really fast. Um, and so all of the, those miners um, are, are in trouble, I think, big trouble. And their earnings, um, yeah. Because, I mean, we're talking, it, before China meaningfully stimulates, we are talking hundreds of millions of tonnes of iron ore surplus in the global but, economy. It, it is worth saying, though, uh, so we've had, a, what, we've had a month of Q4 already, and um, while, while earnings are going to be falling quite significantly, they're still going to make good profits. Like oh, they're yeah, still yeah. at current levels, they're making bucket loads of money. It's just going to be falling yeah, yeah. from what Look, it was. Yeah, like that, uh, I mean, I actually, it does look odds on to me like we're going to threaten the lows we saw in early 2016 uh, at some point over the next three to six months in iron ore. Um, at which point, you know, profits really will get annihilated once we get down there. But even there, even at $38, Vale, even Vale is making okay money and the Pilbara guys are making great money. <laughs> like, it's just... Reasonable money. Reasonable. Well, I mean, it's it's still, you know, almost 100% markup on their costs. So it's that it's not great in terms of what they've been doing for, for many, many years, obviously, but it's still good money. Hmm. Like... There's still still uh, great margins and businesses at that point, which, which should tell you how far this can fall, because you know the the lion's share of iron ore output is very very cheap. So, you know, once we we once if we've got an, uh, such a large amount of marginal supply that needs to come out, then the price can really get hammered. Um, so I wouldn't go near the miners. I mean, that's not advice, but uh, it's a very bad setup for mining equities and the iron ore mining equities. Yep. The other, uh, actually, Jaden, let's hit that other question as well, because this is this is actually basically leading us into what the, we want to just do a quick five minute sort of wrap up on on some of the bond things, but. Yeah, for sure. So we've got another question here. Do you think that the taper or increase of interest could impact these earnings that we've spoke about today? Uh, will inflation or the lack of inflation be a contributing factor for these earnings? Yeah, definitely. I mean, taper is more, more about um, price multiple than the earnings themselves. I mean, the, you know, QE really affects asset prices rather than the real economy particularly. I mean, the two are obviously linked, but um, it does t tends to inflate equity multiples. So uh, as the taper comes out and we lose all that liquidity, then uh, yes, I think multiple contraction is is part of this whole sort of mid-cycle slowdown and, and stock shakeout thesis. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of inflation and deflation, I mean, the market's just red hot on inflation at the moment. Um, it's now hit Australia where well, today we're seeing an absolute spectacular belting for the bond market because uh, basically the RBA has allowed its yield curve, curve control to get obliterated. Yeah. Um, so, this, so, the, so just to just to put that in context as well, so that the the RBA said uh, the three year they're going to hold at ten basis points, and it's now one hundred and ten. So, it's um yeah eleven times higher than their uh, than their target. So I mean that, yeah, that, that 
I mean, it's pretty laughable. It's to my mind because the notion that we're going to get four rate hikes or whatever in the next however many years, well, four to six yeah. rate hikes, it just makes me makes well, me laugh. I mean, aside from anything else, if we do get this commodity deflation next year, that's going to hit Australia particularly hard, uh, and you know, then then the whole the entire structure of our economy with immigration, etc., makes inflation very difficult. So. So, I mean, it, you know, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely. But yeah. for the time being, but, but inflation... To, but to make your money on that at the moment, you'd need... So you need... Um, you probably need six six or seven rate rates, rate rate rises from here. Yeah, which so, would crater the Australian economy. I have no doubt whatsoever. I mean, we have just capitalised, uh, you know, probably 1.9% fixed rates into the housing market. And you're going to, you're going to have all those people roll off in, well, into, into three and three and a half percent mortgages. I mean, well, this is the question <laughs> right now though, as well. So, I mean, that's where we're, we're being priced off those mortgages. I mean, you can get, if you want to, if you want to give the Australian government um, money for three years, you can now get well, 1.15 now, I think. Um, so, so you can get 1.15 if you want to give the Australian government one, or you can, or you can, you know, the the, the banks had been lending at 1.9. Um, it seems to be, um, yeah, it seems to be that that, that you would have to see that oh, 70 basis points, 100 basis points higher over over, the, over if 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 this is where the current yields are going to stick, at least. So, so yeah, the the Australian housing market is. Um, yeah, if this is what we're looking at, is certainly looking at much higher, uh, much higher mortgage rates. Yeah, well, I, I just think it's dislocated right now. I think it's diluted, but yeah. you know, we'll see. Um, but so right now, inflation is red hot, um, <clears throat> uh, but growth is falling, and so that's given everyone the stagflation narrative, which is very bad for stocks. Typically speaking, it hasn't been too bad so far. It's caused a stall rather than a fall. Uh, but if it were to persist, uh, it is a very difficult environment for stocks, uh, and that would be quite challenging. Deflationary environments are fantastic for stocks, basically, especially growth, uh, which is you know what we've seen for the last almost the entire last cycle, but particularly through the pandemic, uh, and you know anything that's kind of growth and long duration like uh, can go can go you know gangbusters and i'm talking fangs and 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 the like there so it is a critical question absolutely in terms of how you're going to deploy your equity funds uh, using which factors to catch the upside the most upside or avoid the most downside in the equity market uh, we're, we're still pretty confident that in the end um, deflation will win out over the next 12 months but you know, no doubt about it. For the time being, the equity market's gone a bit balmy over inflation. So, you know, at this stage, we're we're very happy to pick up a lot of what the, the markets are selling. We're we're accumulating long bonds in Australia. Uh, you know, and and as the Aussie dollar rises on the back of that, we're we're picking off um, you know foreign assets as well. So, uh, you know, over the the uh, the longer race, we think the deflation call is the right one. Very Three good. Equities as, well, equities as well. Was there uh, anything else we wanted to cover in the investment outlook? I'm conscious of time here. 
no, I think that's probably that's probably enough. I think. Yep, that's uh, that's all the questions we had. Um, thank you both for joining me, guys. Uh, much appreciated. Thanks, Jaden. No you, worries. Jane. So our uh, viewer question of the week is: Will the earnings boom that we've uh, we've shown here today last? So thanks again for all of you who have tuned in and watched this episode live and to all of those of you who've asked questions. Uh, as always, we do welcome your feedback on this show and any suggestions that you have for topics. Uh, finally, please don't forget to head on over and check out content from us at nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. Uh, you can see our social media there. So follow us on those if you want to stay updated on that said content. And you can follow us on all major or minor podcast platforms. Once again, thanks for tuning in and thanks to the hosts. We'll catch you at the next one.